Welcome to New York's Finest, Retired and Unfiltered Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to explore the life and experiences of those who at one time held a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth, policing the streets of New York City. This show hosts a wide variety of guests from all walks of life and professions, but remains centered around introducing retired members of the NYPD to our audience while having real unfiltered discussions. Please tune in each week and like and subscribe to hear true crime stories and opinions on past and present events like you've never heard them before. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Laidlaw Blue. You see their logo up here. They're a financial firm. They, they have financially tailored products for retirement for NYPD members of service. Please reach out to them at 888-901-BLUE or 888-901-2583. They're located at 521 Fifth Avenue, right off of 43rd Street in Manhattan. Joining us today, we got my, my, my good partner, the most complained about cop, Eric Dim. And also joining us, we have Jose LaSalle, the founder of the Cop Watch unit. Very controversial unit. Uh, you know, it could be polar opposites from this podcast. Um, and I'm not going to put words on the mouth about the cop, the cop Watch unit. Jose, I want to introduce you. I want you to tell us about yourself, how you grew up, why you started, and a little bit about your organization. Yeah, my name is Jose LaSalle, um, Puerto Rican. I'm an uh, 80s and 90s baby. I was born in 1969, so I was at a time when things were really rough out there. I grew up in a very poor family. And, um, you know, there's times that that my family had to pick out of, like, they used to drop vegetables, and we had to go get vegetables and cut out the bad part and the good part. So I grew up in a very poor family. And... Being Puerto Rican in the, in the hood, I grew up having a lot of bad experiences with police officers. And I felt as a young person that, you know, as a Puerto Rican in the, in this problem, uh, that I was, you know, I was, I was being targeted a lot by everyone for many different reasons. So I grew up feeling, I grew up having that certain feeling that I was you know, saying that I was always victim towards uh, police, um, police uh, misconduct. But um, in 2011, 2011, I created a, a group called Cop Watch Patrol Unit. We call it CPU, Cop Watch Patrol Unit. And basically that that idea evolved when my stepson, Alvin, would stop the frisk. And he was... um. Uh, he, he recorded it because I he kept telling me that he was being harassed by anti crime, and I told him next time you get stopped by police or you get harassed by anybody, I want you to hit record and record it. So he did. He recorded it, and when he brought the recording back, we listened to it. And the police officers threatened to smack him. They uh, called him a mud. They um, and he was an explorer in the police for treatment. Because the officer even recognized and said, ain't you an explorer in the place for treatment? And that's when he said, I'll smack you. And ever since that happened, I said to myself, you know what? 
I, I think I'm gonna have to go out. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna have to start doing something. And I started. I started recording for police. I started recording for police with a three megapixel uh, T-Mobile phone, which the video quality was terrible. But um, that's how I kind of got my wheels doing that. And then ever since 2011, I just been recording with police. Uh, I got in better with it a couple of years. I brought more people in that I trusted. And now, you know, you're a pretty good sized unit that go up there to document police interactions with uh, with the citizen or civilians. And we've been doing that now for 13, going on 14 years. We a lot of the stuff that a lot of the videos that we record goes to a lot of it goes to the Rand Corporation, which they also do statistical analysis for the NYPD. We send a lot of videos to them, and we send videos to all the, you know, to all the chiefs. We send videos to the mayor. We make sure that we distribute what we record out there to every high-ranking officers and the mayor's office and the controller's office because we want everybody to see that. You know, saying to see what we see and what we deal with in the community when it becomes to aggressive policing. And that and that's you know that's how you know, that's how I started and and that's what I do and, and I just want to say one thing that our main focus are the officers that have a lot of complaints precincts that had hit the blue or red mark on the CCRB activity map. And these are the precincts that we target. And that's why we target the Bronx a lot and Mahan a lot and Brooklyn because there's a lot of precincts over there that have a lot of officers with very high CCRB complaints against them. And I myself done probably done followed close to a hundred CCRB complaints myself against officers. And and this is you know this is where we are today. John, I'd like to start out, if you don't mind. First of all, I want to thank you for actually coming on. Jose, I have to admit, I had my doubts. I didn't think you'd actually come on the show. But I think this is a great opportunity for the public to see that polar opposites with an opposition could actually meet, discuss, have an open discussion, be professionals. I think that we're both professionals with a different mission in the same arena. Now, what you mentioned, I think the irony of this is that you said immediately the first thing you identified was that you're Puerto Rican. And I think it's proud to have her her heritage. I come from a Jewish background. John comes from an Italian background. And we do have some similarity, similarities here. And that is that we all grew up poor. And that's the perception I've heard from cop watch patrol unit and also members of the community is that if you're white, you're privileged. And the irony to that is I, myself, and John just as well grew up extremely poor. We had a, a similar upbringing to what you described. We actually grew up in some rough neighborhoods with some rough characters. Now, in addition to that, I'd like to mention... Uh, I myself, along with other police officers that do intrusive and aggressive police work, have been painted as racist, stopping only black and brown people. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the South Bronx itself has a population of 39% black and 60% of, 60 of Hispanic. So that's 99% in the community. So it's a 99% chance we're investigating crime looking to stop someone who's in possession of a legal firearm doing a shooting. 99% of the time, we're going to interact with someone that is black or brown. It's a byproduct of the business. It's a byproduct of where we've been positioned to work. So with that being said, you've been pretty, uh, you've followed me around for numerous years. We've had a kind of uh, 
a relationship where you were follow me and throughout the years since the inception when I actually uh, met you through an arrest where it was alleged that you had a two two way radio, and from that emanated a lawsuit. So I, I'd like to ask you because I think it's important that we get to the grassroots of this. I'd like to ask you what if you were the police commissioner or the mayor, what would be your plan and what is what would be your perception of an effective police department for public safety because. That was my ultimate goal, was public safety in your community and our community. When I say, it shouldn't even be your community, it's our community. Because there's a lot of great people that, that were there. But it was about public safety, getting these illegal firearms. How do you think the police should respond to these locations of a high propensity for crime where there's illegal firearms and the objective is, is to get these shooters, these repeat offenders off the street? What would be your vision of how to conduct the police department? So... If I was if I was in charge of the whole police department, one thing that I would definitely do is is weed out the cops that I feel are problem cops. They they've gotta go. I'm gonna weed them out. And believe me, that's gonna be probably seventy percent of the of the of the NYPD. So 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 then 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 I'll then I'll start then I'll then I'll make sure that officers understand. That if they don't follow proper procedures and protocol, if they don't abide by the NYPD patrol guidelines, because the NYPD patrol guidelines is an example of what all of the officers' mistakes did. That's what it is. It's a guidelines of examples of mistakes that other officers made. And they try to put it, they put it in the NYPD patrol guidelines to give the new officers an understanding not to make the same mistakes. But a lot of officers don't even know the NYPD control guidelines. Like, but they, they look at it. The, the only thing they tell me about that is it's just guidelines. You don't have to follow it. That's the majority of officers that are talking about it. If they got you have to follow it. It's a different thing when we're out here. You, have to, you can't go by these guidelines. But they don't help us keep you safe and keep us safe out here and all that craziness. You know? But the majority of people that are Having guns out there is every percentage. You're talking about, let's say, PSA 7 precinct or 40 precinct as a population close to probably 130,000, right? The population out there, according to the statistics. It's the population of 130,000 people living there. Right? You're talking about out of 130,000 people, right? There's probably 1% of people that really have to commit crime. And that's been talked about hundreds of times by the commissioner. It's been talked hundreds of times by, um, by deputy chiefs, by commanding officers. It is a small population that's out there doing crime and, 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 and creating chaos. But the problem that I have and the things that I have seen is that everybody that's black and everybody that's Latino are being targeted, even when they don't do nothing. For instance, right? people get stopped, you get searched, they're thrown against the wall, or if they open their mouth, they get told to shut the hell up, or shut the F up. And the majority of times, they have nothing, they're low, and a lot of times, these, these are stops and frisks, or stop questions and frisks, Officers don't even fill out the report. They don't even report it. They don't even call it in. They listen to the radio. They don't even call it in. Traffic stops. A lot of these traffic stops take place out there. I done recorded hundreds and hundreds of traffic stops, and the, and the majority of them, say out of 100 that I recorded, there might have been two that somebody got caught with a knife in there, 
because the officers make sure it was playing like this to be recorded, uh, which is like this. Or you're saying one time um, there was someone that was found with a gun. But the majority of people that don't have anything. And that is where my, that's where the problem comes in, in my eyes. And a lot of times, these people that have been called in. So there is no traffic report being filled out. Now they're being forced to fill it out, but back then they wasn't even filling them out. And I know because I keep track of all that. And I have that, I have this That's These are the evidence that I've been sending to these organizations so they can see that these traffic stops are not being recorded, they're not being called in. According to the proper procedure, they got to call in this traffic stop. They're not calling them in. They're calling them in after they know they they're summoned. Or after they or know after they're going to arrest them. Or suddenly you see them get on the thing. I hear them on the thing. Oh, we have a traffic stop. That's 20 minutes after everything happened. 15 minutes after they searched the car. After they did everything. They never had to consent. Because we're there. A lot of times they're watching. You know, these people don't give consent. Anti-crime. Public safety. And neighborhood safety team, they were the same because these are the same officers in the neighborhood safety team, the same officers in the public safety. There was an anti crime that was so you know, this band because you know, that was out there running them. So we see these things, and these are things that we record. That's why when the officers tell us something, we look at them like we out here. Victor. I put two every night, every night I'm out there. I got, I got my guys every uh, to the day out there, be out there every day because we know that NYPD is a 24-hour job, 365 days a week, and they're gonna be out there every single day. So we have to, we have to do our best to be out there as much as we can. And I'm out there every night. I mean, you know, I'm a junkie for cop watching. I love doing it because I feel that that's balancing things out. John, before you go ahead, I just want to say. You raise some issues about the problematic issues that you perceive. And I would argue them that you would see some of them differently than the way we would see it. You've been very critical of the anti-crime units. I was a special operations lieutenant doing anti-crime work. That 10% of the 10% of the police department addresses 10% of the members of the community that commit these crimes. I do agree that a small percentage of the community does commit these crimes, but we have to weed those people out because one homicide is too many. Now, with that being said, what I'm asking for you is what we've been asking for the public that we're not hearing is you're raising problematic issues. And if there are problematic issues, they should be addressed. But what are the solutions? What would be your solutions to have an effective police department? And do you want ultimately public safety? You said 70% of the police department is ineffective. So do you want, are you seeking out abolishment of the police or do you think the police department's necessary? And Jose, your audio is horrific. Is there any way? Yeah, unfortunately. You're, you're like, you're, you're double, like it's coming over. You're echoing. Oh, really? Oh, a little bit, yeah. It's it's kind of like fading in and out. A couple times you froze, but then I was able to get a uh, message. So if I if I speak like a at a slower term, does it sound better? Like a slow? A little better. It's like a, a yeah. Little. All right, because I I was speeding. I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm in city hall. We got two minutes to speak and stuff like that. So my fault. Uh, we we got nothing but time. This is a podcast. <laughs> you're not out in the street. Well, I mean, so you're like, in the car. Oh, all right. Like a <laughs> Don't get pulled up. Don't get pulled over while you're on this podcast. <laughs> so, do you have a, a, what? What are your? What are your? Uh, how would you address with solutions? We always we always hear this is problematic. Why are we using the taser? Why are we using? But what are the solutions? What are your solutions if you were mayor? 
how would you be affected? And do you want overall public safety? And I well, hope you do. I mean, you have family, going, members, right? Like, like when I yeah, like when I was young, when I was young, they had the boys club, they had the YMCA, they had so many different places that I went to. I mean, it's like you know, I was playing pool, I was playing ping pong, I was playing soccer, you know, those foosball things. There was always something to do. I was working out. We had so many things open for us. The churches was not locked. It was open. You could have went in there. You could have sat down, uh, you know, just feel the vibe of being around God for those who believe in God. And it was different, man. Now everything is locked down. Everything is caged up. And you don't have these type of programs. So one thing that I'm going to do that I would do is invest into community. Invest into community where we could create more programs for you know for, for the kids, and we could create more more counselors, be able to have more counselors out there roaming the street, have counselors out there on duty, roaming the street, talking to these young kids. Because a lot of these young kids, what's happening now, no one is talking to them. You know, the NYPD, they are selected on who they pick, you know, you know, on power, who they pick in there. And and they forget about that the ones that really need the help are the ones that's out there I lost and 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 getting involved with the wrong people. And believe me, a lot of these kids are good. But when NYPD looks at them, they look at them as bad. You know, just because they're hanging out with people, all suddenly now they all bad. A lot of these kids got nowhere to go, nowhere to hang, nowhere. They have nothing. They don't even have role models because a lot of fathers still are not in the picture, and and and, and, and it's sad. It's sad. And my John, did it all come through? He froze up for a second. Did it come through? I just want to make. Did you hear? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Sorry so about that. I'm to be invested into the community. I, you know, you, you keep, they keep talking about putting more money into the police department. It's crazy because right now. We've been recording police officers standing in cars, in tens, and fifteen, just just standing in corners on their phone, talking and chatting. We we got thousands and thousands of of, of pictures that we've been taking, and we're putting them all together so we can send them to the police and they can send. And it's crazy because they have nothing. There's so many of them out there, so many of them out there all over the place. And and the funny thing is that it's not stopping. NYPD does not stop crime because when they arrive at the scene, the crime has already taken place. They hardly, 98% of the time, they never get to the scene and able to stop a crime. You know, and, and it's sad. And that, is the, and that is the thing that people need to realize that we need to invest in the community. And that's why we feel we don't need to invest in police no more. They got billions of dollars, billions of dollars, billions of dollars, two or three billion dollars in the community. All they give is a half a million dollars for this program, a half a million dollars for that program. That's not cutting nothing. That doesn't even go through a few months of being able to help a community. So, so, so we need more investment in the communities, and that's what we're seeking. We're seeking for a lot of this money, but it's a lot of people. Cause they got a lot of money. This is a lot of money. I wish I had a billion. So, at least give some of that to the community. Give some of that to the community. We don't need policing because the more policing we have, crime is still going up. So what? What is it accomplishing? So 
Jose, I, I, listen, I'll be the first to agree with you. They're failing as far as they don't have PL, PAL. You're 100%. The programs, the people are selected. Even though they'll take zip codes, they leave out the poor kids in the other zip codes. They leave out the poor kids in those zip codes. Everybody knows so much. I agree with you 100% they're failing. But I do agree with you that currently, right now, we're not affecting crime because we're not doing intrusive police work. Because when we do intrusive police work, like Eric Dim, you're going to become the most complained about cop by doing your job. And, and my problem with the cop watch unit is you guys are showing up at a scene that you don't know anything about. You don't know if the kid was smoking weed in the car. We took him out. Listen, I was a kid. I grew up. I hung out with all punks. We were always getting stopped by the cops. Either we were smoking weed. We were drinking in the park. We were doing shit that we weren't supposed to do. And the cops came around, broke our balls, locked us up for nothing, gave us summonses for nothing, tossed us for nothing. It was nothing to me. But to the people that lived in the neighborhood, it was something. They were calling, complaining. These kids are always in the park. They're making noise. They're getting into fights. There's glass bottles everywhere. They're leaving junk all around. And so the cops are out there, like the neighborhood safety guys, your anti-crime guys. They're going out there, and they're addressing those conditions. And they are going after a targeted population. Males, particularly 16 to 25, who are in the criminal mindset. And you're rolling up on a scene with all your guys. You have no idea what's going on. And it's my contention you're doing a disservice to that community. Because do you know how many people I stopped that I let go? But now when I have you there, check in to see if I did a 250, call an IAB, send in that video to the police commissioner. It leaves me absolutely no choice but now to hand out a summons or to cover my own ass. And we're taking the human element out of a police community relationship. And I, I, yeah, do cops curse? Absolutely, I curse at a million people, but never when the situation was calm. It was only when adrenaline's flowing, we don't know, we got a call of a man with a gun, we heard you have a gun, stuff like that. I, I, I do, you know, uh, am, I gonna, am I gonna defend every act that a police officer does? No, there's, there's 35,000 cops. But I, I do think that when you guys film, you need to step back a little. You need to step back and film from a distance and let the situation play out. You don't know what's going on there. Well, I'd like to say this, Jose, before we give an opportunity, I want to give you an opportunity to speak, of course. But I'd like to say this. From, that's why I was really excited about this interview. You're going to find that the public believes that we're polar opposites, but we have a lot more in common than you think. Because I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I think you are. But I was fighting public safety on two fronts. I was the anti-crime sergeant. I was special operations lieutenant doing intrusive police work out there seeing illegal firearms. I also, in my time, I volunteered a lot of time. I'm not looking for kudos. I'm proud to do it. And to this day, I'm still in contact with the explorers from PSA 7 and also other explorers from other PSAs and precincts. And all these kids are black and brown, and I love them. I was a father to some of these young girls, age of 13 to 21. I went to the Sweet 16s. I got these kids in the military. I started a boxing program. I taught them boxing. I taught them self-defense. I taught them jujitsu. I tutored these kids in their schoolwork. I walked these kids home. I met their parents, their families. I became part of their families. And I am a white Jewish man. And these kids are all black and brown. So this ideology about being racist, I think it's a complete farce. But the cop watch unit never highlighted these things that was going on. I I'm not sure if you're aware, aware of that. But yes, in addition to that, 
my main focal point was getting these illegal firearms off the street. And that's why I ask you, what are we supposed to do when we're tactically approaching someone that has already shot someone in possession of a legal firearm? You said there's less than 1%. That's the people that we were focusing, trying to get off the streets to make the community better. And believe it or not, I grew up in a community just like yours that was black and brown. The majority of the community that I grew up in was entirely black in Stapleton of Staten Island and areas of Brooklyn. Most of them were black and brown. My friends are black. Many of my friends are black and brown. The men and women that I, that I, uh, that saved my life that were next to me when I was in Iraq were black and brown. We never had colors. This is all new to me. Back then, the only colors that we had was dark green and light green. We didn't have these colors. We were out there doing a, a job. I know that you find opposition, but that's why I love this opportunity. There might be things that you didn't see that we see that a police officer sees. And I was hoping that afterwards, after you filmed an incident, that maybe I had to deploy strikes or someone else had to deploy something. Then maybe you would ask, hey, how did this happen? What happened? Maybe you would find out this person had a large rap sheet and this person took a full swing at someone else's face. And we're humans just like everyone else. We're scared and we have to keep each other safe. We have to get home. You want to protect your stepson. We want to protect our families. So, yes, I do agree with you. We have to be out there with the community. We have to fight this on two fronts. We have to get these guns off the street out of the, out of the wrong hands, and we have to instill positivity into this youth. And to this day, I still do it. I, I still speak to these explorers on the phone, and I tell you what, I've, they, they've become part of my life. They've made an impact on my life just as much as I did on theirs, probably even more. So, Jose, I, I'd love to hear you know, from you. I, I appreciate it. Oh, like, like I was saying, the issue is that, yeah, you know, I understand what John's saying, that he's saying that I don't know what's happening, but I do know what's happening. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing this for 13 years, and I've been focused on police activity and the way they think, and I've I kind of been studying everything they study, because I want to be, I want to understand them and their mindset. Uh, you mentioned an officer that he had a book. He got that book and read it because I wanted to see the mindset of that officer. Uh, what's the name of that book that he wrote? You talking about Mike Simonelli, or are you talking about the one I mentioned about uh, Blink? No, John. John uh, put uh, put the had him there one time talking about his book. Oh, Mike Simonelli. Yes, yes, yes. Just about five four. That book because I wanted to understand the mindset and. And, and and that's what I've been focused on to understand the mindset. But the thing is that I'm out there watching y'all doing these stops. It's not like I see the same officers doing these stops. I I I track them down. I, I, I there's times that I caught officers doing four or five stops at one time, and nothing came out of it. And these people and these people did nothing wrong to get stopped. It did nothing wrong. And that's the problem that they look for reason. Oh, you had a busted tailpipe. Now I'm going to search your whole car. You, your, your tents are too dark. Now I'm going to search your whole car. Now I'm going to search you. I'm going to violate your, your fourth amendment constitution. These, these are things for violations that they look for excuses to go into the car because that's their main focus. I had to go into the car like Officers told me is it's called fishing. They go fishing to try to get something. They said if there's a black person or a brown person, they're bound to have something. So we're going to search 
and we're going to search because eventually we're going to find something illegal. And a lot of times they find nothing, and that's why they let them go. They don't get no summons. They don't get no explanation of why they didn't stop. And police get back in the car and disappear. Nothing happened. I see this a lot. Him himself, you know, I recorded him many times doing many traffic stops, doing many stops and frisks. There's times you see me and the time you didn't see me. You know, and you know, because I said to myself, well, a lot of times I gotta sit in my car, or I gotta stand somewhere because I have, you know, I have video recording devices that can zoom in, and I gotta take it from a distance because once I'm there, a lot of times you change the tactic, or suddenly now they want to follow the proper procedure, the protocol, they want to do it the right way because they are camera. But when we're not there, present when they can see us, uh, see Kawak Patrol Unit. Or suddenly now, you know, they're they going rogue. They're going to talk to the person, curse to them, curse at them and everything. And it's crazy because this type of treatment people are getting. Some of these people ain't doing nothing wrong. Driving home, you take from one place to another, and they're being harassed by police just because what? Just because they're black and they're in the neighborhood? And they're brown and they're in the neighborhood? I, I know that you say the population, the majority population is not Blacks and Hispanics. 99%, 99 in South Bronx. Well, it's starting to change a little bit. But it's 99% of, of Black and Brown. But not every Black and Brown person deserves to be stopped and questioned, deserves right, to be harassed by police. I agree. I agree with that. Driving, driving, driving with 10 windows does not make a person a criminal. Driving with a broken taillight does not give an excuse for public safety, safety crime, or NST, the safety team, to stop them, to question them, and, and, search, and search them and search the car. And if they say something against them, all of a sudden now, you have to be suspicious because why you you know why why are you talking why are you telling me why I'm doing this and this is something that for the past thirteen years man I see a pattern that doesn't change it's part of a template that has been placed there and it doesn't change NYPD does the same thing everything is a lieutenant lieutenant everything is no longer in the NYPD right uh active but Officers that he left behind and the officers that he trained are doing exactly the same thing. Yes, the same thing that was being done that I feel everything was doing that was violating people's constitutional rights. And and not just everything, we're talking about a lot of officers that have a lot of complaints. And believe me, if you got a hundred subjects complaining. Let's say we take away, we take away, we take away a hundred. We still got fifty complaints. This is a pattern of abuse. This is a recidivist, uh, a recidivist misconduct violation that is being perpetrated by an officer. It is a pattern, just like there's a pattern. They all suddenly uh, jump the turnstile. Oh, he's a recidivist. He jumps. He jumped a hundred the turnstile. They have no problem advertising that. These officers are doing the same thing. It's not like they're doing something else. It's complaints about the same actions, the same misconduct, the same misconduct. This is a pattern. In our eyes, it's a pattern. It's a criminal pattern because if any civilian was doing it, we would be in jail. So this is something that I want to change somehow. I'd like to give a, a John, before I give an opportunity to ask a question, I'd like to give a summation of what you said. 
I, I believe that you're insinuating that I was violating people's rights and not stopping. Now, yes, I do have the most complaints. However, I, I do think there's some caveats that I would argue that I never had an opportunity to take these to a department trial, but that is the byproduct of doing truce with police work. Yes, you will see the same police officers, same lieutenants, and same sergeants out there doing this type of work because these are the units that are assigned to do this type of mission. Now, I will say this. I'm very savvy when, savvy when it comes to people versus the board. Terry versus, Terry versus Ohio. All my cops train and understand this knowledge of these stops. I had perfect evaluations with the police department. Now, I was talking about an overzealous civilian complaint review board, and I do think that you, you were part of that. Uh, and I, I do think that what you don't understand is that we were targeting to help public safety to get these illegal firearms off the street. Now, I have in total 28 actual complaints. Each complaint has different allegations. It's almost like its own folder. And 26 out of those 28 are currently in custody as we speak. These were some of the most violent perpetrators that we got off the street. These weren't people that did not have rap sheets. We do not have a crystal ball of who has a firearm. And what the cop bar shooter, I think, doesn't understand is people have behaviors indi indicating factors that mirror the stops that we've had that led to illegal firearms. Now, should there be better documentation? I definitely think there's an argument for that. Yes, but sometimes it's so, so vast and moving and we're trying to quell the violence. Uh, so that is, I do believe, an administrative oversight if, these, if the paperwork is not being prepared. That is something that we could always do better on. But I do believe that we need the stops correctly with the right mindset, with the right knowledge. I do think that Yourself and members of the Cop Watch Patrol Unit suffer from the Dunning-Kruger effect. The least that you know about a subject, the more you think you could do it. And once you actually start to study the baseline, the observational movements of people to get these illegal firearms, is it, it's a whole nother world. And yes, sometimes I know you, you were pretty critical. You saw me doing a stop and it would be myself and about 10, 15 officers. We refer to us as a wolf pack stopping one car. Why? Because I've said this before in podcast. It's not about that one car. It's about the entire incident. And we're working in Metropolis. We have to work, watch the flow of traffic, pedestrian traffic, the people in the car. We have to make sure everyone is safe. And if we actually do make arrests, we have to make everyone safe. The ultimate goal is to bring these people in custody if they are in possession of a legal firearm or something of that nature and to keep everyone else safe. And, and if they don't have that, they should be released. But as far as tinted windows and these other things, these are violations that are used as a pretextual information to conduct a stop so we can get these illegal firearms off the street. It is not to meant to harass anyone because we did not stop everyone. Most of the black and brown people in the community, we did not stop. We looked for specific people that fit, fit the nomenclature of who is in possession of a firearm based on people versus the board and other court cases. We actually went by court and we constantly studied this and debriefed and went over train to get better. And unfortunately, we were met with re resistance, reluctance, and violence. And we had to keep ourselves safe and get home. And sometimes we had to deploy force to get home and to get these illegal firearms to get everyone safe, including the perpetrator himself or herself. Uh, John, you have any questions about that? And, and Jose, I do appreciate your thoughts. I absolutely do. I, I just want to say I, I, I'm just going to piggyback a little bit off of what Eric said. Like, you, first of all, Jose, you nailed it. You're 100% right. You're out on the street. You're seeing people get stopped for minor violations, for minor crimes. That is what the police do to, to detract and deter major crime. That is exactly what they do. That's what I did. That's what Eric did. We 100% did that. And when we, we stop people for tints and we let them go, you know, I think that's a good thing. I don't think that that's a bad thing. Do, are, are people targeted? Absolutely. Repeat offenders are targeted. Recidivists are targeted. They will be harassed more. They will be given summonses more. They will. They will encounter the police more. 
But what should the police do? Like my my thing is this. You already said the police don't fight crime. They don't keep us safe. What do you suggest the police do to bring down the gang violence, to bring down the gun violence? With And, and do you have a problem with these minor stops? Because you're saying you do. And if you do, then... What should we do? What should we enforce? What shouldn't we enforce? What sh what's, what's your thought of what a police officer should do? A police officer goes to work every day. What, is, what does Jose LaSalle think that a police officer should do? Well, one, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be targeting everybody in the neighborhood and looking at everybody as criminal first until they stop them and search them and realize that, you know, these people did nothing wrong and they didn't look like he wasn't criminal. So forever them to say that, you know, that they know that you know what you're looking for when you look at, into a car or see a tinted window or, or when you or when you walk to a car and start questioning them that by you questioning them and seeing their nervousness, everybody got nervous when they see them. Seeing their nervousness or, or seeing that, you know, that they they're talking too much because that's what they look for. A person is talking too much. And, and, and it draws suspicion. So these are normal reactions of anyone that sees police because black and brown people had bad experience since the beginning of police and the creation of police. And all the way to now, we had as blacks and Hispanics have very bad experience with police. Every encounter with police, even when we did nothing wrong, it was not a good encounter. We did not feel good. We felt unsafe. We felt violated. But I grew up. I grew up being stopped and questioned. I grew up being stopped and questioned. I grew up being thrown against the wall. I grew up, you know, being harassed by police on my way to play basketball. But it became normal to me. It became part of my culture. I'm like, well, as a big weekend, it's happening to me. And Puerto Ricans in my neighborhood all the time. It's happening to black all the time. We made it part of our culture. There was time we was like, when the police threw me against the wall, he ain't threw me against the wall because he know I'm bad at you know you jump. So we was using this psychotic ideology and mindset just to justify to ourselves that what was happening to us because we're Puerto Rican living in the neighborhood and you know, with blacks, and that's what happens to us. We are the target, and we believe that, and it became part of our culture. I believe that, you know, it was a normal thing. It happens every time. So when it happens, I ain't anymore because we have to think about it like that because it happens. And we just talked about it. We, we, we tell people about what happened to us, but it didn't go nowhere because it was all war against the system, against police, and all were against police did not carry nothing. But when cameras came in, cell phones with cameras came in, the whole ball game changed. Now we don't have to say this what happened. Now we can actually give people a view of what happened. So the videos that I'm posting out there, people are looking at it and they're judging what you know what, what's going on. I'm not putting down that oh this is what happened, that's what happened. Majority videos we put out there, we just let people decide what they see because it's evidence within itself. So, you know, we don't need to say much about what we put out there. And dealing with, dealing with stopping crime in the community, like I said, 
you, you know, police, <laughs> police don't stop nothing. We we see we 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 see more than the police out there because we among the people that the police is chasing around. Not you no, know, we able to talk to the people because they trust them. They they know cop watch is there to watch their back. The bad and the good out there knows that. And 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 the sad thing is that police created a distance between community. No one likes police out there. The only people that goes to these um these precinct meetings are elderly people. And the only reason they go is because police go pick them up in their home and bring them there. Other than that, they won't even go there. No one goes to the police department to talk about what they experience bad about the police because when they do, they get attacked in there by you know the president of the the of the council there and the people that goes there. And and we we are the ones that went through all these meetings and we changed that tempo. We changed that tempo to the point where now they had no choice but to listen to you know saying to what people are going through the police aggressive um policing out there. And to stop and, and to stop somebody that's committing crime I police police have listen, y'all y'all have things flying in the sky, y'all have so much intel, and y'all mean to tell me that y'all can't stop someone from committing a crime. Y'all got cameras everywhere. Every time I hear the scammer that the camera picked up a car that was stolen, uh they were stolen. I mean, y'all got facial records, y'all got everything. And somehow somehow unable to stop crime. So that means that what we're doing now is not working. We need to we need to replace the whole way of policing. And I feel that the best way to do that is for police to have a better relationship with the community. Not by cursing at them, not by treating them like criminals, but like having a better relationship with the community. And maybe then maybe then they're able to get to where there's a car that can take place while it's taking place on top of where someone where there's a 30 someone's getting robbed, you'll be at the time. Not after anything happens and now the investigation goes through. And y'all don't even part of the investigation the detectives and they do the investigation. But but there has to be something other than what y'all doing. What y'all doing is not working. So what the NYP people are not working, it is not my job to put it together for them. They have to put it together. No, we got the billion. If I have billions of dollars, believe me, I'll have so many solutions to that. I don't have that type of money. And and right now, I'm not I'm not qualifying myself to be a person that's able to, to go out there and stop crime because I'm stopping what I believe the criminals that are within the department who are not held accountable. Everybody that commit a crime, they're held accountable. They're held accountable for what they do. In 2015, I was doing, I was doing um, I was recording the frisk where police officer, uh, you have a sergeant, um, you had sergeant of here, you had um, police officer Anthony Phoenix. Uh, we had also officer Elvin Grant, right, and. We're talking, and these, let me tell you something. I was arrested I, because I was recording. These officers lie on the post. Everybody, CCRB has filed over 2,000 pages that 
Uh, but everybody they gave testimony from, and I have the IAB folders. I have before only have like about fifty papers. CCRB got like thousands and thousands. That they, they, they are they talk to the district attorney was was involved in setting me up. All right, you had um you had the commanding officer uh, of the priest there involved. You had Lieutenant Dixon. You had um Severus. You had another lieutenant. It was crazy because because this. This here just showed me that this is something that happens on the regular. It took me to the precinct during during shift change. So you have officers coming in for the midnight tour and officers leaving. You no, know, they was done for the midnight tour. They leaving. All these officers meet inside um, the desk sergeant. Boom! It's like they crack with each other. The ones going home, the ones coming in. When they saw me, they started laughing and celebrating. This is the mentality of the pre the PSA seven precinct. They started laughing, celebrating, talking about as a party, talking about you know saying, oh, we got it. we take you know you can hear over to I said we take care of business, and then they don't even realize my that my phone is recording everything. They they talking about buying guns, how to buy guns. They busy trying to find out. To put a felony on me, and they have second the felony. They still say, "All right, so we still put them through, give them all, all and still put them through." So this here is a prime example of what happens to a lot of people. There's black and brown that these police officers lie on the oath. Lie on the oath. I have all that. And all that everything from audio to paper to thousands of pages of paperwork from IAB and everything, from everybody involved on the documentary that you know we are together with some uh, mother documentary um, people that uh, they reached out to and putting it together. And it's gonna tell a whole story of corruption, misconduct, a conspiracy. Uh, from ADAs and everything. I mean, Dim himself, when he came to pick me up, when Dim came to pick me up in the diner, I, you could hear him. He asked, Dim asked me, where's my property? I told him that the lawyer took my property. And then my property was sitting on the other, on the other thing. The lawyer never took it. But I told him my lawyer took the property, right? And he gets back on the phone. He's talking to, you know, saying to the other person, the other line. And then it comes out to say, oh, it's the phone one. So somehow they knew that I had recording of them. Maybe somebody in my crew ratted me out of something. I don't know. Because the only one they knew there was. But they learned that I had the recording in my, in my, in my, in my phone. And that's, and that's what they came for. And. This is a prime sample of how police work. I when they feel something is a threat, when they feel that they could get over on something and they could falsify and they could uh, and they could perjure themselves, they're going to do it. And 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 them and other officers have done that in many ways. Like I said, I got the IAB papers. I got the IAB uh, testimonies of, of Eric Dim and and, uh, and, and CCRB and everything. So I'm just saying this because there is a problem within the police department that they 
are committing crimes in there and they're not being held accountable. My thing is, I want officers to be held accountable. Listen, I can't get rid of the police department. Believe me, I would abolish the whole police department and, and, and think of something now and put something new in this place. I can't do that. It's not going to happen. I don't have that power. I don't have that money. Neither. So, since they're going to continue to work and continue to patrol our neighborhood, I want officers to be held accountable. 150%. They should be held more accountable than the civilian because they are the law. They are the prescribers of the law. They are the protectors of the people. And a lot of time, what I hear officers themselves, officers do not talk about about the civilians. They do not talk about the civilians. They talk about how they are being treated, the things they are going through. This is their job. They took the job. They took the job knowing that it's a dangerous job. All right? They took this job knowing that they got to do with the crazy people out there. They took this job knowing that they're not going to get paid a lot. Even the system is going to fucking turn their back on them. They took this job knowing all these things, and they still want to complain about the treatment that they received when they knew that this job, this is what you get. This, this, you know, people get more doing other stuff the police is getting paid doing this. So police officers know what they got into. And many officers, I believe, got into it because of the power of the badge. And, 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 and that's what I want. I want police officers to be held accountable 150% for the actions. And and we're working on that. And all these reforms, believe me, it's not a reform. I think all these reforms, the bullcrap and everything, but a lot of them, a lot of, them, a lot of this reform is also giving us little leverage top government, to be able to push certain issues. And, and that's what we're doing. We're pushing certain issues. We don't need to be out in the open. We like to do stuff behind the scene because when you do stuff behind the scene, you get more done than being out in the open. And, and that's what we've been trying to do. So it's not, it's not personal against Eric Dim. It's not personal against, you know, against John. It's not personal any officer, but it is personal against anyone that feels that they can use their badge and abuse people and think that they can walk around with, you know, with, with complaints and, and walk around with, with hundreds of misconducts and say that you know, saying, and say that, oh, you know, saying CTRB is just targeting the police or control unit, just you know, one sided at the police. We are all one sided. Or suddenly, are calling themselves blue, blue lives, or suddenly, not police blue. Uh, and 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 they they saying that, and what that shows us is that they separating themselves from community. They're not, we don't feel like they're part of the community because they, you know, they blue lives. So if you ain't blue lives, you ain't that them. And this is what the community see. That's why when police come to the community, they don't get no respect. And they won't get no respect because I believe you have to give respect to get it. And that's what's happening. Jose, I'd like to summarize some of the stuff that you said. I think what, first of all, i like to start by saying I think that's what you're saying is completely it's inflammatory and it's device it's totally divisive because you keep saying us now you say us black and brown are targeted by the police sean has been pretty adamant and expressive on the podcast as a white kid how he was stopped 
by the police on numerous occasions, and he was actually arrested for a minor crime. I, I, I haven't been arrested, but I understand that. I have seen uh, police, and I, my, my parents always told me you know, to respect authority as, as a young kid, but I would say this is completely divisive by saying us and them. Now, I don't want to personalize this too much, but I just want to go over this case real quick because this should be about the better of the community and about public safety and about overall sending a message out there, and we're doing this together, but we, whether people want to believe it or not, but we may be opposites, but we're actually have similarities here, similarities here because we want to help. We all want to help. And I can tell you this on the day that you were arrested by members of my team, I had no knowledge. I didn't even know who you were. I had no idea, but I was told that you were in possession of a two way radio. And I said, absolutely. You make that arrest. Now with that arrest being made, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this. All the police officers were Brown. The only one that was white was myself as the lead lieutenant. Everyone involved, even most of the people when we went to pick you up, were black and brown. The only one that was white was myself and the commanding officer. But all these police officers, when you're talking being divisive about black and brown, they are part of your community that you say. We all are part of your community, even white. I grew up in a black and brown community. Now, with that being said, I had no idea who you were. And what I learned, everyone was celebratory because I wasn't there at the precinct because you were a complete polar opposite. And I was told how you were harassing the police, and never giving the police a chance. And it's obvious you talk about the misconduct. You never talk about the good that the police did. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I was part of an operation where we saved the life of a five-year-old boy. To this day, we still help explorers. But the issue that you had, should have taken with that day was the district attorney's office. On that day, we had learned that there was some back and forth whether your case was going to be prosecuted or not, if it was going to arraignment. You were at court. Now, at some point, we had learned that you were that there was an hour from the time of your arraignment, but yet you had already come back to the precinct to get your property. So now I had spoken to the district attorney's office and they said they made a mistake, that they released you, that they actually were going to go forward with the case. Now, there's nothing personal. Someone had shown me your Instagram and I saw in the corner was a picture of you holding a menu, which said the Crown Diner. So I said, OK, let's go there. Let's, let's grab him and let's bring him for arraignment. Again, nothing personal. I had no idea who you were. I started to learn about the cop watch patrol unit and what you were part of at this point. We went to the diner. If you remember, I was asking on the phone on the other line. With my police officer with at the district attorney's office, what's going on with this case? And I was told that we need your phone because there was suspicion that you need If you knew at the time, I actually emerged in the papers because there was a stolen radio causing the police to run around like crazy. And you having a two-way radio was suspicious. The phone could be held for a potential search warrant. That was why we were trying to get possession. Now, you were treated with, I, I asked me, with ultimate respect. Your lady at the time, the people that were in your company were extremely, they were screaming and yelling. And I understand it. They were upset you were being arrested, but it was nothing personal. We had one hour left to bring you for arraignment. That was the fault on the district attorney's office for releasing you get, and you got your property back. At that point, we should have been told that the case is over. But no, we were told that still to draw up the case at this point. So it was not personal at all. And most of the police officers, like I said, were black and brown. Again, I don't want to make this about us, but it wasn't personal. At all. I want to know that it's about the mission. The mission was to complete, make that arrest, get the property that might coincide with this radio. Because at the time, the suspicion was that you may be the guy that's in possession of a stolen radio that was causing police officers to get hurt, was giving fake calls, fake calls for assistance. If you remember, there was an article in the paper. It was pretty much a stampede of police officers walking, including myself. And there was a fake 1013 that was transmitted over the radio. So the suspicion was that you may be that person. So that's what led to your arrest. And the district attorney's office was where you should found fault. Now, I know that from there, the target began on myself and the teams. But these teams are black and brown. 
they're the same people. So, John, I think you want to ask this, but I'm curious, what is your perception of a black and brown police officer? Well, I don't. When I see when I see an officer in uniform, well, the blue light. Now that you call yourself blue light, so we don't see we don't see we don't see them as a black officer. We don't see them as a brown officer because what we see is the uniform, and what we see is the pattern of view that they display towards us, towards you know black and brown in the community, and, and that's what we see. We see the uniform you know, attacking us now. Now, y'all might say, well, you know, they got blinds, they got blinds, you say that's racist, because the pattern of abuse is the same. It doesn't change. Whether they black or brown, in the NYPD, the pattern of abuse against people of color continues. So, like I said, in our eyes, we look at exactly what I want us to look at. Look at, at the NYPD. They're the blue light now. they blue light. They don't even represent the same Black lives, they don't represent white lives. They consider themselves blue lives. So if you're black and you're part of the police department, you're part of the blue. You're part of the blue lives, you're part of the uniform, and you're going to carry out whatever your supervisor tells you. If supervisor tells you, go bust that black man's head, you're going to go bust that black man's head because that's what your supervisor tells you. And that's, that's why only thing we see and we're training ourselves to see is that is the uniform NYPD officer, whether they're black, brown, whatever color they want to portray themselves as, they represent the same pattern of abuse that has been, it been taking place since the beginning of policing against people of color, against, you know what I'm saying, black and brown. And, and we continue to feel that, we continue to feel that to this very day, every single day, in the community. And that's why I'm 53 years old. That's why I'm going to continue to patrol. As long as I'm healthy, as long as I'm being blessed to be able to walk around and move around, I'm going to continue to patrol. Uh, so I just can't do anything. I feel that this pattern of policing, aggressive policing in communities of color is not going to stop because it's a pattern that has been taking place for too long. When I when we patrol around the white community, right, these when they go to the story crowd with a white community, they're treated differently. They can have beers out in the open, they can be fighting, or they can break them up. Police has even taken people home. They have been in fight in these white communities. So when you see that type of treatment in a white community, and then you see what the crowd, how they're treated in a black community, then you know policing is different for white people and policing is different for black and brown people. And it shouldn't be that way, like I said. Every black and brown person that live in these ghettos, living in these poor areas, are not criminals. Are not criminals. They shouldn't be treated like criminals. If police want to do proactive policing or predictive policing, then they need to do it and go after the ones that they know is out there messing up. They know who's out there messing up because they have their names, they have their pictures, they have everything in the picture of who these people are. It's the same people doing the same thing. They know when they're released from prison, so they know who they are. But why go after every community? 
Right, right now, right now, what? They stopped over 700 and something, 700 and something traffic on stops of cars. 85% has been black and brown. So what is happening that is different? Nothing. It's the same pattern within community of color. If they did the same thing they do in community of color, in white community, I guarantee you, There'll be a lot of them carrying drugs. There'll be a lot of them carrying illegal laws, illegal firearms. There'll be a lot of things you have to get out of these white communities. You know, they're so comfortable knowing that they're not going to be stopped on the grass that they can walk with anything on them. And believe me, I know a lot of them within 86th Street to 70th Street, there are a bunch of dope heads and they walk around with crazy stuff on them, but they know they ain't going to be checked. Why? I don't know because white privilege or white folks are not the target of the NYPD. The main target is black. And the second target is brown. And that's how it's been. And that's what we see. And that's why we record. And that's why we put videos out there. And that's why we have become well known nationwide because of what we do. And, and, and it's funny because NYPD is like a model for, for, for all these other police. Um, uh, police officers around the world, and now cop watch patrol is becoming a model for a lot of cop watches all around the world because a lot of them is following our patterns and they being as aggressive as police are to us, we have to give that same aggressiveness towards them. And we're not doing nothing illegal. That's the thing. We're being targeted. I was being targeted. Or cop watches being targeted. Cop watches are being hated. We're not doing nothing illegal. We're protected by the Constitution. All we're doing is reporting something that we see. We're not doing nothing wrong. Why would police hate us for just reporting? We're not doing nothing wrong. And there's times that we record. We try to record good things, right? We try to record good things. We try to record something and police don't they, they They create a, a body of, of, uh, a body of laws or something so we don't record it. But we're not getting so we so we're not getting anything because police feel like they don't want to get even for that. So so you know, so we know that the only way we're gonna choose within the police department is for us to keep pushing for them to be held accountable, for us to be putting the pressure on them and, and a lot of times we have to use the you know the, we have to use the city council, we have to use these crappy ass um, reforms to be able to put some pressure realize that they can't come into community of color Louisiana. Jose, we lost you for a second. Can you pick it up back on the Bluetooth? Yeah, so, you know, so I was saying that we need to make sure what we want is to make sure our whole objective is to make sure that police are held accountable when they do things wrong and police are getting away for too long. And Cop Watch Patrol Union working with other groups and working even within the government, other agency, we're pushing to make sure that at least within the next four or five years, police officers commit any type of misconduct will be held accountable 150%. And, and believe me, real soon, police officers will have to be paid out of their own pocket. Remember what I'm saying? Real soon, police officers will have to be paid out of their own pocket. Not the taxpayers' money, but they're going to have to be paid out of their own pocket. And once that starts happening, I guarantee you, 
lot of officers want to start straightening up. They want to start following follow procedure. Want to start treating people with courtesy, professionalism, or respect. And want to start realizing that they need to take their job serious. Because there's a lot of officers that didn't take their job serious. And I'm telling them, I seen you do things that, you know what I'm saying? You know, I could say it was the right thing to do. You follow my procedures. Many things that we had that we have seen. You know what I mean? We didn't get the whole thing, but we knew because when we spoke to people, right? We wasn't friendly. We got to have to happen. Some people, you know, spoke about how you know, they were treated. And 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 that's the problem. Sometimes officers do the right thing, and sometimes officers actually for something else. And we're trying to stop that. We, that's not going to be happening no more. And we're trying to make sure that other people get involved and put in the answer that. So, Jose, I just wanted to bunk. So, you're, you're saying that white people don't get stopped. We police differently in white neighborhoods. I never seen you in Staten Island. You know, Bensonhurst back in the day was all Italians. You weren't. Your organization wasn't around then. I never seen you in Staten Island. I never seen you in Italian neighborhoods. You could take. You could take my career for example. The majority of of kids that I arrested, and I arrested a lot of them, look exactly like that. You could take my whole family. My mother had seven brothers. I have hundreds of cousins. My father, his brother. They all have arrest records. But minor bullshit. But why? Because when they were young, they were in places they shouldn't be. And you're painting a picture that the black and brown community is against the police. But there's not. There's an abolish the police agenda, which you're clearly talking about, which members of city council agree with. And the overwhelming people that own businesses in black and brown communities that live and raise families in black and brown communities that go to work every day, that have children in school overwhelmingly support us. They're not, they're not, they're not telling you to, we go into those communities. You want less police or more police. What do they say? They want more police. They don't want less police. I mean, I, I, and you're giving an abolish the police gender. So, I mean, you know, and I, I think your thinking is highly flawed. You're, you're, you're group categorizing everyone. Black and brown people are now blue. I don't want my cousin being locked up. I don't want my next door neighbor being locked up. I don't want my kids being locked up. We're policing all of these neighborhoods exactly the same. Are the rates the same? No, they're not going to be. They're going to be totally different depending on the neighborhood. Are the tactics and the strategies deployed the same? Absolutely they are. You know, it, it, like, there's no clear plan for policing. And, you know, it's I, – I, I don't know what the goal is. The, the, to me, the goal sounds like to you that you want to abolish the police. That's ultimately your goal. And, and I, my question to you is you've been out there since 2011. What have you – what would you list as significant accomplishments for the Cop Watch Patrol unit and – is are you receiving city funds for anything that you're doing? City or governmental funding for anything you're doing? Uh, no, we see no funding from the city, and we wouldn't take no funding from the city. Um, we get we get donations from people that believe in what we're doing and support what we're doing, and that's how we're able to able to get on the body cameras. And video recording devices and other kind of devices, <laughs> and and that's what we get our support from. And like I said, man, our main objective is that we 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 want 
equal balance when it comes to crime. If police officers do something that would be considered a crime if we do, we want these officers to be held accountable. A lot of times these officers are not being held accountable. There are so many officers that get away with with murder, they get away with with, with so many different criminal misdemeanors that it's insane that they even given that much leverage to go around while you're arresting someone and beating them up or go around swinging at a civilian that is not even swinging back or that is running away. And I'm not referring just to the same incident that uh, they might have, but I'm talking about in general what we've seen other officers doing. And, and, and it's sad that these officers are able to do this to us and they are done saying that they're here for them life or they will pray or, 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 or they believe we was going to attack them or we was attacking them. When someone is running the pain, it's a, it's a retreat. Why would someone have to, have to beat them up? And not only speaking of that, because I had an incident in the 46th precinct where I got beat up by police. In the 46th precinct, then they charged me with OGA, resisting arrest, assault of police officer, and and there's so many charges they put on you. And when I get to, and when I get to the court, they all fall away because there was no nothing solid on their side that saying that would um it would justify these types of these types of um of charges. And I have video as well too. So so I I I live I experienced it. I know what it feels like when you're in handcuffs and the officer screaming, stop resisting, and they're kicking you in your face. I know because it happened to me. I'm in handcuffs, I'm not resisting, often stop resisting, I'm getting kicked in the face, my head getting stomped on the floor. You know and and these are things that people, I'll just say it again. Black and brown people go to school on a regular basis when they find themselves having any interaction with police, when they're being stopped, when they're being uh, questioned. And these are the things that happen in community. And I'm not going to stop talking about it because the simple fact is this is real. There's tons of videos that show this. Tons of videos that show this. And there is hardly any video it shows police doing the good things they say they're doing. And there's a lot of people, a lot of people out there. There's people that when I go out to a scene, there's other people who go out there that support police. They're out there recording. But there's nothing out there that shows exactly how police is doing in community and how they are helping community. There's more videos of the misconduct and more videos of the negative things they're doing because that is the majority of things they're doing. That's the majority of things people are able to record. So abolishing the police at this time right now is not going to happen. So why would I even think about that? That's not going to happen. I don't have that power. But since police is out there patrolling in these community, I want to make sure that they do it. And do it in a way that is respectful to the people that live in the community. A lot of these officers don't live in that community. They come into that community. And in Staten Island, I have 
a chapter over there in Staten Island, and they patrol the 120th. They don't patrol the other precinct because the 120 is where it's populated with black and brown people. We're focused on that precinct. And believe me, those officers there treat those people the same way the officers treat the people in the Bronx, in Brooklyn, in poor black and brown neighborhood, in Queens, and, and the Manhattan. It's the same thing. So it's not like we're just talking about it. There's tons of videos showing this type of you know, these type of activity that police are conducted within this community of color. So, I mean, y'all tell me that I'm wrong on 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 all these videos that's being exposed out there of police misconduct. So these are things that are not real. These are things that's not really happening. And what y'all think an officer should be to offer to be responsible and held accountable, just like any other criminal when they commit a criminal act, and is that something that y'all agree that this, that should happen to the officers as well? Jose, I love to speak on this. Actually, what I hear, I hear a lot about we. I hear about us. I think ultimately, your ultimate goal is abolish the police, and you've said obviously that's not going to happen. So you're going to have to find another way. But I think that's the ultimate goal because we're asking you for solutions, but you haven't given us a solution on how to police the neighborhood. If it's not the police police in the neighborhood, someone has to police that neighborhood. It would have to be you. It would have to be the community. Someone has to keep these people protected because there are innocent people there are sheep it's good men like myself and john and other police officers that were there at night when people were sleeping so that they can be safe yes in your community i didn't live in that community i went to that community to put my life on the line to help them you said we made that choice yes we made that choice i made that choice proudly to help that community now with that being said you talk about committing crimes and, and, and things as such. And that's why I tell you, these videos are illusions. You don't capture the beginning. You don't capture the end. And you don't see what a police officer sees. And you have never, I have never seen you ask afterwards a controlled environment, what happened? Was this person suspected of a crime? Was there some intelligence? What led you? What were the tactics used? Have an open conversation. And I think this is a great step. Have an open there's a lot of value in this i hear a lot of disdain in your voice and, and, and hurt and pain the police officers are accountable there's no one more accountable than the nypd we have so much oversight john and i if you have an opportunity you said you like to read i appreciate it we both wrote articles about the analysis and the events leading up to the death of tyree nichols in memphis and we both wrote them they got published in a magazine called the manhattan and we both agreed that the way they moved was not the matter of cops and what they did was a criminal act. Those were thugs and the way they beat that man. And that's not something that myself and my units did out there. We treated people the most respect. And there were times we had to deploy strikes trying to get someone that was a possession of a legal firearm. They were trying to evade getting arrested. And we saved lives with that. Getting one gun doesn't necessarily save one life. That could save several lives. And I can tell you this. In my almost 20-year career, I have never fired my weapon once, and I've been involved in thousands of illegal firearm, firearm arrests. So we do police each other. So, I, again, we're on the same team when it comes to that because we police each other. But I hear this we and this us. We have to lose that mentality. And if you're going to have a comparison, you had you said you have cops in the 120th precinct because they're black and brown. Well, John was working the 123, but there's, it's a predominantly a white neighborhood, and there's plenty of Italian gangsters there. Why should have a cop watch patrol unit watching them as well so that we can have a balance and a comparison? I do not think that black and brown people are differently. There is, unfortunately, there is more crime in some black neighborhoods 
It's in the Wikipedia, and there's other reasons for that. I took a class in college about urban American blacks, and there's, there's different discussions, whether this is based on racism or capitalism. I mean, can we look and look back? I think some of this is also because in the, in the 50s, where they started these suburban neighborhoods, and you can blame this on the system, the system itself started out as a racist operation, not the police officers. The police officers, you say, is because they're tangible. But back in the 50s, when they started to buy property in the suburbs, they wouldn't sell properties to blacks. They only sold it to whites and at a nominal fee so that the whites would fill these neighborhoods and the blacks and browns were not able to get in these neighborhoods. That, but this is a system that started in the 50s. That's another conversation for another day. I agree when we talk about diversity inclusion, where there was racism, but which may attribute to some of the crime in the neighborhoods that we have now. But I, as a white man, led an effective unit getting illegal firearms off the street, the most in the city three years in a row, trying to help a community. I was willing to take a bullet even for you, for a community of people that we did not know. And we do not have a crystal ball to know who was in possession of a firearm. We do our best to observe behaviors, to find those behavioral indicators that lead to that illegal firearm. And sometimes, yes, sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we stop people and they don't even have a firearm, but they're completely upset. That's why we say they elicit a response from the police. They're upset. They fight. We don't know what they're capable of. They move their body in a certain manner. And sometimes the de-escalation is taking that person down before we have to deploy strikes because we don't want to hurt them and us get hurt. Us and when I say us, the police that are conducting that arrest getting injured. This is very complex. That's why I say we don't get the beginning, the entire beginning, because the actual story that you film is not the entire story. The intelligence that led us to that location, why we were there, what's going on in that area. The police have been intimidating themselves with violence through social media and at that location. We're responding with a tactical response. We already know that this person has been arrested numerous times for fighting with the police. Tensions are high for everyone. And I've never seen a police officer strike someone who is not resisting arrest, eliciting a response from the police to keep everyone safe. And you're saying different. Well, you know what? If someone strikes someone while they're handcuffed for absolutely no reason... They should be arrested. And that's what happened in Memphis. Those five thugs were under arrest and they're under investigation right now and they'll be facing that. So with that being said, I'd like to say the members of your cop watch patrol unit, are they vetted? Are they vetted to look at their arrest, arrest sheets? Are they vetted to see if anyone's been convicted? Because there is a dichotomy between being arrested, you're innocent until proven guilty, then being convicted. Are the people and the members of your unit vetted or is that, or is that, that not something that's discovered or even discussed? No, no, I mean, we, we don't allow nobody in because we don't even know if they're infiltrating us or not. So, yeah, we, we go through a very, very strong screening of whoever wants to be part of Combat Patrol Unit. And not only that, you know, we kind of do it like a biker club. You know, you should be a kind of a prospect first before you become a full member of Combat Patrol Unit because, you know, a lot of people, they just for the moment feel like they want to be part of something and then down the road it's like they no longer get that they got that feeling and we and we see that so we let people you know we do uh, ride-alongs and we we have certain areas we do ride-alongs uh, and we observe a person we book them up uh, through internet through social media we have we have so many ways that we can look up a person and and yeah, we're you know we're we're not looking for certain. We want somebody that one we know is serious about going out there and filming and, 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 and serious about 
protecting black and brown people with their video camera and making sure that we show the world what we see. That, you know, say, a lot of people don't see what we see. We are in this community while people are sleeping, right, recording and documenting police interactions with civilians. So we're giving people an inside look at what's going on when they're sleeping with police officers, just like the NYPD is out there while people sleeping, looking for those that are committing crimes and trying to get guns off the street. And I'm not condemning anything that deals with a gun being taken off the street. Yeah, these idiots need, you're saying that these guns need to be taken off the street. These idiots who use these guns need to be locked up, all right? Because the simple fact is, you know what I'm Society should have no rules for people like this. If it was up to me, I would have been, I, I, I would have bought it. But it up to me, they, they'd be in some island and they could kill themselves <laughs> the they wanted that island. I would just take them out of New York City. I'll put an island together just for the schools. I, if I had a perception, because the simple fact is, you know what I'm saying, I, I don't approve of the prison industrial complex uh, either because the majority of people that's in there are people of color, which is the reality. But I, I do want to ask y'all one thing, and I want to ask y'all about what y'all think, what y'all think about officers that, that has decided to you know, I guess they call them whistleblower, decided to show what goes on in the police department. And I just want to mention a few names. And I, mean, I, want you to, I, I would like to see as officers what y'all think about these officers, because other officers look at them as a bunch of black officers and look at them like they was the enemy because they reveal something uh, you know, that is supposed to stay behind the blue wall of silence. So we have Adrian Schoolcraft right, that was revealing the portals. Uh, we have also, we have also, we're saying these are cops I consider to be good cops. They're good cops. You, know, they, 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 they. Um, you also have the NYPD 12, right? They also spoke about quotas and this quarter. You have uh, Lieutenant Edwin uh, Raymond, who was one of the leading ones in that lawsuit, uh, to, you know, talking about revealing quarters. You have Daniel Perez. You have Aaron Diaz. Uh, it's like, and they also recorded all they recorded their supervisor that instructed that instructed them uh they instructed them uh, they instructed they said to them instructed officers think of white and Asian as small as small targets and urge them to urge them to get after black and Latinos for minor offenses like jumping the turnstile and and other minor offenses. And then you also have Pedro Serrano, who I met personally from the 40th precinct, who I knew him before he even came out like this. He always, you know, so he was always a very conversational person and wasn't afraid to talk to me, like many other officers are, I, who worked in the 40th precinct. Now he called uh, Deputy Inspector Christopher McCormack, who me and him had many encounters in the 49th precinct, commanded that, I. He ordering he orders uh, he order cops to stop and frisk young black and male for twenty one years old from eighteen to twenty one years old, and these officers decided, you know, this was a recording that's out there. These officers decided to 
bring this out to the surface? Do you look at these officers as the rest of the officers look as a bunch of rats? Or do you look at them as they expose something that is really happening in the police department? Or do you think that the quota and uh and um these uh commanding officers telling them to go target black people, it's made up by these officers. So I'll start. So Adrian Schoolcraft, that was horrible situation. I mean, I, I heard the, the whole tape. I listened to the whole thing. When I first heard it, I'm not going to lie. I thought he was a shit cop, and I thought they were just messing with him for activity. I'm not going to lie. When I first heard it, until I heard the tapes and what happened to him, I think it's egregious. I think that he deserves a lot more money than he was won. I don't have any problem with Adrian Schoolcraft whatsoever. Two, you mentioned the 12, and you mentioned Edwin Raymond. And I believe that the same way I believe that your ideology is highly flawed, I believe they are police officers who never really policed. They are not cops. They do not, they do not go out to actively do public safety. Do I think that they are terrible people and that they're rats? No, that's their perception of reality. I know Edward Raymond. I spoke to him several times. I think that he does believe in in himself and what he's doing as a mission is good for his community. I do. I hi, I do like yourself. I don't believe that he could highlight to me what a police officer is and what a police officer should be out there doing and tell me a, a crime strategy and how to keep on down and how to keep people in the neighborhood safe. You know, and and for the majority of those twelve, I mean, I know I know too that I supervise personally. They worked in a Hasidic neighborhood at the time when they were suing, saying that the police department was pushing a quota on black and brown people when the the demographic makeup. Of, of the precinct that they were policing in was like 6% black. I'm like, where are these people when all your arrests are, are do not do not show that at all? So I think the basis of that whole lawsuit was highly flawed. I, I don't think, I won't say that they're rats. I think that they have a problem with policing. I do. I don't, I don't believe that they're great police officers. Um, you talked about two tapes where the commanding officers would talk on camera and, and, you know, the way that it was portrayed was that the commanding officer was telling them to go out and stop black and brown people. That's not what he said. He said, we have a target audience. He said that, he said that we're, we're having a recidivist problem and the demographic of who we're looking for, of who's committing this crime between the video that we pulled, the witness statements that we have, and our, our own intricate knowledge from confidential informants and everything else happen to be male blacks between the ages of 18 and 21. That is not that is not racism because I'm saying a race. If we had a pattern of five Chinese males robbing old women, I would send my officers out that day. This We're looking for Chinese males, 18 to 21, who happen to be in this area at this time, be on the lookout. These are the people who we think it is. But that doesn't mean we're going to go out there and stop them. We might stop them if they do commit a crime. We're not violating their constitutional right. If they commit a traffic infraction, absolutely we will stop them. That's our job. That's what we do. You know, so that's that's my take on it. If if I missed anybody, you could tell me. Um, and, and I'll speak on that as well. But I, I think we covered it all. And uh, Eric, you know, what, what whatever you, you think about them. I like to piggyback off what we said. I think what happened to Adrian Schoolcraft was a complete abomination. I, I don't refer to them as rats. I mean, these grown men and women, if they want to speak out, that's their right. However, the perception is, is exactly that and subjective. Adrian Schoolcraft, I, Adrian Schoolcraft, I think that's a completely separate subject. I think that was an abomination. Again, I want to highlight what you said about the 18 to 20-year-olds 
being black and brown, I think that was taken out of context. I was in a position as a lieutenant. Sometimes we're looking for a particular shooter or some shooters, and the only information that we have is they're black and brown. Again, it said it's a 99% ratio of demographics of black and brown in the South Bronx. That's what I was policing. If my target was a white male, absolutely, I'd be more than happy to take that illegal firearm from that white male's hands or white female's hands. Absolutely. But my target was 99% black and brown. There was 1%, a very small percentage. Now, I had that 99%. Sometimes that's all we had was 16 to 18-year-olds, 18 to 21-year-olds, black at a particular location. That's all we have to focus on. We'll draw our attention at location, trying to see got that illegal firearm. As far as these NYPD-12, I think some of these cops, which I actually knew personally, a majority of them exhibited pure laziness. I think if this is an example of good cops, if this was the type of cops we had generalized for the entire population of the police department, nothing would get done. None of these illegal firearms would ever be apprehended. I think that they, they exhibit pro progressive politics identity politics within the police department i think that the, most of these cops did not fit into the policing culture that they didn't exhibit the masculine traits that we talk about that you need to be an effective police officer out there and this was i think a, a cop-out on many of them i know edwin raymond's been pretty expressive i don't agree with a lot of his ideology you know i think that as a black male himself he should want to take the guns out of black males hands if they're if they possess it illegally because they could hurt other blacks a white male like myself was in a black and brown neighborhood to help blacks. It was blacks hurting other blacks and blacks hurting other browns. And but if I was put, if they had to assign myself to the one two three precinct or a white precinct, I would give the same valiant effort that I did. And again, I grew up in a black neighborhood. My neighbor to my left was black. My neighbor to my right was black. My my best friend growing up. His name was Tyrone. And next to me on the other side was Jermaine. These were my best friends. We played basketball together every day. But the public doesn't know that. But Because it's not important. I shouldn't have to hold up a sign and say, hey, I, I like black people. I don't care. I like good people. You could be black and be good. And you could be black and be bad. And same thing with white. But I think these, these 12 did not exhibit traits of good police officers. I think if that's the, the ideology of what a good, poli a good police officer is, again, Yes, then, then we should abolish the police. If that was, if we had 35,000 just like those 12, then who's <laughs> going to protect this? Yeah, honestly, who's going I to agree. protect this community? I agree. Jose, That's let's be honest. Have. Someone has to protect these people. These elderly people that are there, they need someone to help them. We have to help them. You're, I know that ideologies, you want to help them by getting what you perceive as a bad cop off the street. But I think what we see is what a good cop is and a bad cop is completely different. You see a good cop. All we hear right now from you, unfortunately, is, is what you perceive as bad. And the only thing that I think you think is good is by gestures. Yeah, a cop giving out ice cream, playing basketball with someone. But someone has to be out there doing the intrusive police work. And it, it's ugly. But it's effective and it's necessary. How we have to keep these people safe. They should have a right. And, and I would say it's sad. Some of these young males I dealt with that were forced into these gangs, they didn't want to be involved in it, but they had no choice. They lived in Mod Haven and they could not go, they could not go to Patterson. These kids had to join the gang and we tried to help them. And sometimes arresting them with the illegal firearm is helping them. And we would find work programs and hook them up with a neighbor coordination officer. And some of them, we got them jobs. And sometimes it's the arrest that saves their lives and helps them and gets them away from these other kids because they're forced into these neighborhoods. I watch these kids. I, I knew I, I knew these, these kids are that were good in school, 
and, and they and they were forced to stay in their homes all day. They couldn't go to them to into, into the courtyard in Mont Haven because it was predominantly most thugs and the gang members, which were a small percentage, but it's enough fear to put them that they were stuck in the house, and the only option they had was to play video games. And I wanted to get those illegal firearms in the hands of those bad black and brown people, so the good kid that was black and brown could actually walk to the bus stop, or he could go pick up his girlfriend and not get harassed by the group and get beaten up because when he was with his girlfriend or menaced with a firearm by some of these kids, particularly in Mont Haven. Because right across the street is the peasant houses, and they couldn't even walk right across the street. And some of these kids were forced to commit crimes. And that's how we helped them. We had to arrest them. Some of them, I got them into the Explorer program, and some of them I still talk to to this day. Why doesn't the public know that? The effort that we take to help these kids, talking to them on the phone. There were young girls that we talked to that had gotten pregnant. I gave them money out of my own pocket. There were plenty of kids that came with babies. I gave them money from my own pocket. I brought in clothes from home that I had gotten from my wife and my kids to give to these kids. But they don't tell you that. Plenty of times I took money out of my pocket. How many times did I arrest people in possession of illegal firearms? And I bought them food through the entire day. And I never asked for anything. And to this day, I, I won't. But this is not the stuff that's being discussed about. We have to look at all the angles. Ultimately, I think that the goal is to abolish the police. And I think that's sad. Who is going to help these people? It's going to burn. It's going to blow up and just totally implode. I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get the NYPD 12 to uh, start it off for me. Put them out there. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, listen. Like I said, the whole the whole the whole the whole thing, man, is that I just want I just want I just want I just want people to be treated like human beings out there. And I know you keep talking about boxing the police and all that. And and I don't see I don't I don't see I don't see that changing, that type of treatment. And I know John saying I don't know because I get there a little bit late and things like that, but it's the same thing happening in this community. There's nothing happening in this community that is different than it's been happening for the 10 years. It's, it's the same pattern. It was saying someone put down the torch, they get locked up, so they're no longer holding the torch, someone picks it up. It, it's a continuous pattern. Another thing is that a lot of these guns are getting to these kids, not 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 from them going to Bronx. There's no gun shops nowhere in the Bronx. There's no gun shops nowhere in Brooklyn, no gun shop anywhere that these kids could go in there and with a license and say, listen, I want to buy this gun. These things are being brought to these kids. These things are being handed to these kids. And a lot of time, these things are being handed by people from the system. You know, there's been cops that have been get caught. In the 46th precinct, you had an officer that got caught for helping drug dealers. Right? Helping drug dealers and distributing guns to people in the neighborhood. Right. You got you got you got officers in many other precincts that was involved, and in, you know, not so long ago, uh, officers was involved in giving fake license to people so they could carry guns. We need to we need to talk about all this. We need to make sure that people understand that these guns are not getting to these kids because they get it themselves. These guns are being brought from out of state to these kids, and that's what needs to be stopped. The flow of gun needs to be stopped from coming in into these communities. And instead of investing for me more money 
on 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 cops. They should invest more money on dealing with issues like this, talking to these young kids and reaching out to them. And Lieutenant Dipster, a lot of them feel imprisoned. That's true. A lot of these young kids are scared of come out. I know because I'm out there at night and I see these rowdy fucking idiots out there acting all crazy. I, I see them. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes they look at me because I wear, you know, my you know the Kawas uniform, but I also have like a badge on it that I created. And they they get confused and they think I'm police and now they're me, calling me all kinds of names until they realize, oh, that's cop But you know what I'm saying? It's crazy. At night, the neighborhood gets real crazy, and sometimes to the daytime, these young kids you know, do a good can't come out there. But the problem I have is that NYPD is so focused on this little group of people that they keep trying to catch and end up not really catching instead of focusing more on the community I that they can reach on uh, uh, dealing with, you know, the neighborhoods, uh, not the neighborhoods, um, uh, the, the, you know, the community affairs and, uh, and the NCO, the neighborhood coordinating officers, they, they are in this community and not putting enough effort to reach out to these kids. Like I said, they're focused on reaching out to kids that really don't need to be reached out to. We need to reach out to the kids that's really lost out there. A lot of these kids that's out there hanging out with these crews, right? they're hanging out with these crews because they, uh, they feel like there's no other way to be able to be in that neighborhood and be able to walk around and feel safe without being part of these crews. So these are the kids that we want to reach out to. These are the kids that when we go around and hand out flyers in these neighborhoods, we hand out flyers to these kids, the ones that we know they're heading in the wrong direction and already having an issue and problem with criminal activity. We want to reach to them. And there's many times that I even was willing to even work with police on that issue and willing to, to even go with them into these areas where they couldn't go to be able to speak to these kids. But <laughs> nobody wants nothing to do with how And officers feel like if they associate with someone to show you that they're already selling out their own, uh, you know, their own, um, their own blue buddies and blue families. So we know that there's never going to be that type of communication, that type of connection. And that's sad. And like I said, if the officers do the right thing, hey, they say that's what I want to see. Because you're out there, that's you can't get rid of you. You know what I'm saying? you're out there, do the right thing. That's all Congress told you was. That's the only reason we are video recording because we want them to understand that they need to know that someone is watching them and that if they don't do it right, now we have the we have the power through social media to show the world and let them be the judge of what they see. And that is what's creating this distance between police and community is the power of video and what they see. And not only that, also what people are going through in this community. And, and like I said, listen, John, there's many things I know you know, talk about the system, and how fucked they treat police and all that. And believe me, I agree with you on that. And, and police are not even getting paid enough to be treated like that. You got the unions, right? 
making their pockets flat while police officers are out there struggling. Because there's officers, I know there's a lot of officers I know that are out there fucked up. You know saying? Surviving, trapped like that. And it's sad. And this is a system that reality doesn't even give a damn about anybody in that uniform. They only care about what that uniform represents. And 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 that's why this, that's why there's really nothing that I really felt that I needed to go after you or, or, or try to debate with you within social media to show that you're saying that what you're saying is a bunch of crap is because a lot of things you say I will agree with, especially when it comes to the system and how the system treats people and how the system treats the NYPD. And, and that is sad. And it's sad that the police officers are going all out for a system that doesn't even give a damn about them. And this system will never give a damn about the NYPD. Uh, they give a damn about the NYPD, but they don't give a damn about the people in the uniform. And they will throw anybody under the bus. This system does not discriminate. And that's another thing these officers need to understand that, that they're doing a job that they're never going to get that respect from a system that is always going to keep them at the level that they are. And that's how it's going to be. And, and it's sad because, like I said, a lot of these officers do not realize that they're being bamboozled and being led straight and a mud into, into, you know, into, a, into a pool that they're just going to be drowned eventually. And no matter what they do, it's not going to be enough for the system. You know? So all that going out there and giving it all is not going to accomplish nothing for these officers other than stress them out and put them in a situation where many of them feel like they even need to kill themselves, which is sad. So these officers need to wake up dealing with that too. And believe me, I speak to a lot of officers who are stressed out. A lot of officers who hate their supervisors because their supervisors stress them out about everything. And then when they speak up about things that they don't like, they're placed in areas that you're saying usually officers are placed uh, because they're not going or, or hearing to their supervisor. And there's a lot of stress going on there. And for some of these officers, I really feel sad. But they continue to follow orders and continue their abusive behavior because they feel like there's nothing more for them. But some of them are waking up and some of them are leaving the NYPD and finding better jobs because the NYPD doesn't really pay shit anyway. So they're saying, I just want to say that, that a lot of things you say dealing with that or uh, with dealing with those issues, I definitely, uh, you know what I'm saying? I definitely stand by. And um, I was good, man. Never take it personally, you say. I did take it personally when you came into that diner to arrest me and I knew everything that was going on. And other than that, from that day forward, was the only time that I said, you know what? I'm going to make sure that he don't remember, he never forget who Jose Lasalle is. And I kind of make sure that he <laughs> So I accomplished the goal of that. So for the rest of your life, you will remember me. So you carry me, you carry me around and I'll carry you around. So we'll be part of each other's story for, you know, for whatever we got left of this goddamn planet. You know? But like I said, man, no disrespect. 
I'm going to do, continue to do what I'm doing because I feel that I'm doing right. I feel that I'm doing something that is benefiting my community. And when I, when I participate in protests, everybody is protected by cowboys. We're there to document everything that happens. And a lot of these protests, the majority of people in these protests are white folks. And believe me, they get the same love that they would get from us as anybody in the community and black and brown community. But our main objective, our main focus is black and brown people because as a Puerto Rican, I know what it feels like to grow up in, in the ghetto, to grow up in a hood among black and brown people being poor. I know what it's like. And I want to be able to bring life to people and understanding to so open the window and door that we, that we need to do better for ourselves and that we need to watch each other back. And, and that is important that we realize that this system it was designed to work the way it's working. The police system is designed to work the way it's working. And this is the message that I'm going to continue to push out there to my people. And you keep saying it's an us and them. And until I see something different out there, it's always going to be an us and them thing. And when I say us and them, I'm not talking about us against the white folks, I'm talking about us against the system. I'm talking about us against the blue uniform and what it represents. And it's us against that. Because in my team, Kawas Petroleum, I have white, I have Asians, I have people from all different cultures, and they're part of my team. I trust them. I love them like a family. And and when we're out there, we use the same tactics of, of, of cop watching and the same manual that I give them to uh, cop watch. It's the same thing. We try not to change it because our main focus is not us as cop watchers, but what we're doing out there as, as, um, as video graphic, documenting police and civilian counsel. And we hope that somewhere along the line that would change things to the point where police sees us, they don't see a bad thing, they see something that is good and they allow us into that circle to be able to document and record what they're doing, the good, the bad, we, we, we are not going to discriminate. If something just shows up, I'll put it up. In the 46th precinct, there's an officer, two officers. I, I happen to got there just on time. As soon as I go, they Jumping on the guy, to, the guy's trying to get the gun, trying to get the gun from the guy. And they able to get the gun. The guy gets away. He get away from He got caught. But the guy gets away. He was able to take the gun off the guy. And believe me, put that up there. I let people see that. You're saying that sometimes the police are out there. They're in the situation. Where there's a life, there's a life, and also the life of the people about the when people start shooting, they don't, they don't uh, the bullets don't have a And that was right there in front of me, too. So we was at the point that if there was a firing, we was in the middle of the hospital. But like I said, if I see something good, like I tell many officers, and they allow me to capture it and not 
of harassment and tell me you need to back up or tell me that you're to close or tell me that or create a or create war or body war. If I see something good, it's gonna go up. But so far, the majority thing I've been catching has been bad, and my main focus is also to catch officers not following procedure, not abiding by the NYPD guidelines, and also not being not being courteous, not being professional, and not being respectful to people. This is the main focus. Other than that, I mean, you know, I'm I'm going to coexist with the NYPD. And believe me, I coexist with them because the majority of the time I'm in the protest, I'm not even in the protest. I'm standing, I'm walking over here. I'm walking, you know what I'm saying, with the NYPD over there. I'm, I'm on the side that I need to record NYPD. And that's why a lot of times people look at me and get confused. They don't know what side I'm on. But like I said, man. Listen, I, I like to say that we'll be able to figure something now that we can make it right. I like to say, listen, we met, we may never come to a complete resolve in seeing eye to eye. But I actually think if you actually go back to this podcast and you actually watch it, you're going to see that we actually have a lot of similarities and similarities. And we want the same thing to the kids. It's just the perspective of how we see it and how we and how we move and how we operate to do it. Again, I want to go back to it. It was never personal when uh, when we made that initial arrest in the diner. I didn't even know who you were. I don't, I don't know if you knew that at the time. I had no idea. I was pretty much new to the Bronx at that time. Before that, I worked to the Lower East Side. I had no idea. Uh, with that being said, I don't take anything personally. Like I said, we're all professionals in the same arena. But I think this is a good start. This is where it starts. Believe it or not, John and I also have received a lot of opposition from our own viewers and fans, you know, who said who pretty much was asking if we teamed up a cop watch or without BLM. We've got the same oppression that you probably did from your own people. But you know what? Again, I think it's so important that we start from here. Just this conversation alone may open up many doors for people and see that this is where the start is. And it starts with open conversation. And it's respecting each other's opinion. I, I don't agree with a lot of things you're saying, I have to be honest. But at the same token, I respect your opinion. And it comes from somewhere. And where it comes from. At the same token, I, I don't know if you understand that, but John and I grew up very poor as well and in and, and neighborhoods that were rough as well. And, and so we do understand uh, the, the way you view the world in, in many ways. I do understand it. We want good cops, too. We want good cops. We do. We, we police each other. We don't want bad cops. But we need cops. I, I, think, I think you don't want police at this point. We need them. We, we, we really do. I, I want the police in my neighborhood. And I want them. John had mentioned on an earlier podcast we haven't put out yet. But we want the police like us to actually look for the bad. And I understand what you're saying about those kids. I really care about those kids. I stay in contact with these explorers. It's unfortunate. Actually, most of the kids I dealt with that I arrested behind closed doors by themselves, they really gave me the truth. They didn't want to be involved in these gangs, but they had to. Some of them had to, they've actually had to shoot people. They've actually had to hurt people so that they don't get hurt themselves. It was, it was a defense mechanism. They had no choice. And I know that because I grew up in a neighborhood just like that. They were stuck there. They couldn't, they couldn't walk two blocks to the left or two blocks to the right. It's survival. And unfortunately, we're put in a position that, there's only so many tools that we can use, and sometimes the factor is making the arrest. Hopefully, we can get them as explorers, but a lot of these kids didn't want to be part of these programs because they didn't want the other kids to see that they were kind of teaming up with the police department. So I do understand it's survival, and we're trying to help them the best we can. The, the, the system has a lot of flaws to it, but to blame the police completely, the actual police officer with the boots on the ground, I think we need to blame 
the leadership where it starts. And if there is a different mission of how to put the police officers out there, we need solutions. So again, I like to thank you for coming on here. I appreciate it. It does show some courage to came on here. It shows we can have an open conversation. John, uh, would you like to give any last thoughts? I think this was this was great, and I hope the public really uh, understands what we're speaking about here and perceives this as a good thing. And I think we need more of it. Oh yeah, I think I think what Eric said is right. I think that you know I think we do agree on a lot of things. I think we disagree on policing and how we come to public safety. I do agree though that. There is waste. There is waste not only in the police department. There is waste in every city agency. There are billions of dollars that are going out. And a lot of it is being wasted using and perpetrating on the black and brown community. Oh, these are investments in community. But yet we have no goal, no objectives. We have no way of tracking that these programs are successful and we're throwing money out the window. So I do agree. We should build up the PAL. There should be things for kids. You should have a voice at the table. The kids that are being stopped should have a voice. Now, should they be out there dictating what's going on? No, but we need perspectives from everybody. Everybody's perspective should be there. Community council hearings shouldn't be shutting you out. Your local politicians shouldn't be shutting you out. Republican, Democrat, I've been everything. An independent, I've been labeled as everything in New York City. They all shut me out during COVID. I know, and, and I'm sure exactly what you're saying. You had trouble with, with, with getting your message out there, and I'm sure they shunned you too because they don't want to deal with it and they don't want to do work. We're all part of the same hypocrisy, and that's what we all need to understand. You know, like we are being led into something and shooken up. The average cop and the average cop watch and even minor criminals, kids that are committing crime in their youth, because they're just dumb kids and they're doing, they're hanging out in the street and they did. No, they're not. They're not terrible people, right? You're not a terrible person because you smoked a joint or, or you did something stupid when you were a kid. No, you're not a terrible person. But there needs to be consequences for that stuff. And I think that's where we disagree. Um, and for the cops out there, same thing. We're all part of the same hypocrisy. You need to understand where where Jose is coming from, where community members are coming from, when kids commit crime. You were them. I do have a problem with kids that didn't grow up in New York City becoming cops and not understanding the culture of New York City. So I understand that. I 100% understand that. I understand that. But there's a way to work around that through training, through mentorship, through through interactions. And and I think the, the us versus them mentality really needs to end. I'm not trying to end cop watch. I'm not trying to tell you to stop going out there and videotaping. But what I am, I will tell you, I, I do have a problem with you jumping out and, and approaching the officers. If you stay back and record, that's fine. But I'll tell you right now, if I'm in that scenario and I have someone stopped and you're interfering me and you're asking me questions, I'm not answering a question for you. I'm going to give you an attitude. It's a dangerous situation. I'm worried about a million things. Now you just interjected another fear for me and another concern. I don't know you from a hole in the wall. I don't know your guys from a hole in the wall. And that's how these, these people are feeling. They have eyes on them seven ways to Sunday, and you're the eighth eye, right? And that's fine. But just do it from a distance and, and just understand that cop may be, may be do, doing something that they're, they're not thinking right, Maybe, but it might not be as egregious as you think it is. Right. It might not be. It could be a learning experience for somebody. And, and, and anybody that's doing out there, the kid's selling drugs. He's in jail right now. 
The other guy you mentioned that was doing hits, he's in jail right now. I mean, I'll overwhelmingly support these people being in jail, and I'll support them getting more time than an average person for doing it because we should be held to a higher standard. I believe that. We get, with great power comes great responsibility. And, I, and I'm not I, – I don't want anyone out here like, the same way. I got kids too. I got cousins too. I got nephews too. I got friends too. They look like everybody. I don't want anyone out here getting abused by the police. I don't believe in a police state. I do believe in the police though. So I thank you for coming on, Jose. Thanks a lot, yeah, man. Jose. Hopefully, it won't, hopefully it won't be the last time. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> real quick, but real quick to finish, man. What y'all doing? What y'all doing with this podcast? I think it's a good thing because, like I said, it's opening the door for the conversation that would never happen out here. And for you to give me a chance to come on this. It, it it shows it shows one it shows that you do care and it shows that you're willing to have someone that probably won't agree with you and probably will have a different ideology or at least a different ideology of how to deal with crime in in the city than, than a person that you know that's uh, was a police officer for a while. And was policing from the inside. Yes, I will never, I will never be able to see what y'all see unless y'all speak and, sh and let me see through y'all eyes. And this is what y'all doing. So I appreciate that. And like I said, I hope this is the last time. And hopefully, the viewers understand that this is something that has to happen, supposed to happen, and it never happens. So. John, you're the first one to make it happen. So hopefully this opens up a, a door for these type of conversation to continue, not just in your podcast, but in other areas of government, in other areas of policing, in other areas of, of where these conversations usually don't take place because of the uncomfortability of these conversations. But thank you for giving me the respect and I... I'm happy that I hope that I gave you the same respect back that I gave me. Oh, absolutely. And, and and we showed we showed the world that with opposition we can have open discussion. It's not personal. We can respect each other and respect others' opinions. We don't have to agree with these other opinions on, on everything, but we have to show each other respect. And I think this is great. You're invited on this podcast at any time if you want to go further and speak about anything. I'm sure John agrees with that. And I do thank you for your time and I love seeing your vision. And, and, and hearing, it's important to move on. I got a lot of value at it. I, I appreciate that we had this conversation. I, th I think John pretty much agrees with that as well. And I look forward I think, to more. I, I, hope that really like, I think you really like me, Derek. Then. <laughs> I think you like me too. <laughs> That's outstanding. <laughs> John, you, you want to end this? Good. You got anything else? No, nah, I'm good. Ladies and gentlemen, New York's <laughs> finest, find an unfiltered podcast. We'll be right back at you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's cool. Hey, hey, 